Today's Old Testament reading comes from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 10 and 14, and can be found on pages 868 to 869 in your church Bible. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, and can be found on page 1089 of the church Bibles. Let's read. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, good morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here together as you have invited us into your presence. We believe that you are close to all who call upon your name. We come before you, Lord, just as we are, with everything that gives us joy and everything that burdens us, with all our thoughts and our longings, and with our anxieties and our hopes. 
we entreat you to speak to us through your word, to let us hear your voice, to touch our hearts, to help us experience your presence. Strengthen us, O Lord, through your word. Equip us with all we need from you today so that we can celebrate this day of Pentecost with expectant hearts. Comfort and encourage us through your Holy Spirit. Renew our faith so that we can go into the week ahead of us with new strength and new courage as witnesses to your love and your compassion and your living presence in our broken world. Amen. Every year we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But what is it all about? Who is the Spirit? And what does He do? And what difference does His coming make to our actual daily lives? The Bible does not provide theoretical discussions about the nature of the Spirit. That's what theologians do. The Bible tells us stories about the Spirit, what the Spirit does. Like the stories we heard just now, the valley with the dry bones being resurrected to new life, or the story of the disciples gathered together and Jesus appearing among them and giving them the Spirit. The aim of these stories is not to increase our understanding, it's not to explain something to us, but to help us open our eyes to see, to help us open our hearts to receive, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. The passage we read in the Gospel of John the opening scene there is quite a dismal one. We see the frightened disciples gathered together. It's the evening of Easter Sunday. The evening of Easter Sunday. And just before, in verse 18, we read how Mary Magdalene told the disciples, the Lord has been resurrected, he's alive. It's the evening of Easter Sunday, the day of the resurrection, but we see no joy. We see only fear and anxiety. The doors are locked out of fear for the Jews. They shut out the world outside. They meet together not to plan on the next steps, how to serve the Lord. They, they are together, huddled together, to get some mutual support and comfort to encourage each other just to survive this difficult time. And they're probably feeling very guilty too because they ran away when Jesus was arrested, except for Peter who followed him some time and then three times, three times, refused to admit that he had any connection with Jesus. So for them the feeling must be at this moment all is lost. All is lost. Have we not all, at some point in our lives, experienced this hopelessness, 
where one really feels everything has come to an end. There's nothing left. This must have been how the disciples felt. And yet these disheartened and frightened people, lacking in faith, lacking in commitment, are exactly the ones whom Jesus chooses to send out to be his messengers. Not the ideal material for a major task, we would say, to make disciples of all the nations. They can't even go out into the street. They're all locked up together in a room. How can they be transformed from fearful people in hiding into brave proclaimers of the gospel? How's that possible? Well, even though they may feel disillusioned and disheartened, Jesus still has something for them. He suddenly appears in their midst. This is completely unexpected. There's no preparation from their side. They didn't do anything. They have failed him, but he does not fail them in their moment of need. What does Jesus say when he stands there among them? He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Shalom. This is the usual Jewish greeting. Jesus is actually just saying, and a good evening to you. Jesus comes as a friend. He does not censure them. He does not blame them for their failure. I mean, that's what we would have expected. Where were you when I had to face all the suffering? Where were you? No, he just says, peace be with you. Good evening. He grants them his peace. He shows his love and his concern for them. Just as in the other resurrection appearances, in every one of them we see how Jesus meets people in different situations, how he reassures and encourages them. The disciples don't say anything. And then Jesus shows them his wounds. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. Not to elicit their pity, but as proof that it's really him. And it's also a confirmation of his saving death, his self-sacrifice for them. What Jesus is actually saying when he shows them the wounds is, look, it's me, and this is what I've done for you. Once again, the disciples react without words. We just read that they rejoiced greatly. They were very happy. It's actually a fulfillment of what Jesus promised before. He told them in chapter 16, you will mourn, but your mourning will turn into joy. And this is what we see here in front of our eyes. The mourning, the sad disciples all locked up together in a room, and then all of a sudden, joy. And then comes a second peace wish. Jesus again says, Peace be with you. And by now the disciples must realize Jesus is not just saying good evening. That one says once. Jesus is really giving his peace to us. Again, as promised. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus appears in their midst and he says, peace be with you. 
Now, if that was all, we could have left the disciples rejoicing and happy. Jesus is alive. Jesus is giving us peace. But that's just the beginning. Because after giving them the peace and the joy, and growing out of this peace and joy, comes Jesus' commission to them. Jesus is giving them a job. He's giving them a task, something to do. This command flows out of the presence of Jesus. This presence that brings peace and joy. This presence also brings responsibility. We have to do something. And what does Jesus say? He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you. But he doesn't just say, I'm sending you. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The same mission that God gave to Jesus, he now extends to his followers, his disciples then and to us. We are placed in the same position as Jesus himself. As Jesus, so also we. And he provides the example. That's why he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. In the same way that I was sent, that I came to you, in this way I send you. In this way you should go to people. So if we want to know what we're supposed to do, we should just read the Gospels carefully. We should get to know Jesus, the way he reached out to people, the way he communicated with people. As the Father sent me, so I send you. How was Jesus sent? How did he come? He did not testify to himself, but to his Father. He didn't talk about himself. He talked about his Father. Those who speak on their own, seek their own glory, Jesus said. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And there is nothing false in him. As long as we represent the one who sends us, we are on safe ground. We are on firm ice. Jesus spoke only what his father instructed him to say. I do nothing on my own, he says. But I speak these things as the father instructed me. He did nothing in his own strength but independence on the Father. Jesus also said, The Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For what the Father does, the Son does likewise. And so Jesus sends us. Just look at how he did it, what he did. Just follow his example, and we cannot go wrong. Jesus lived in constant fellowship with his Father. He knew his will. He did his will. He was one with his Father. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose no one of those he has given me. This is the will of God, that I should not lose anyone that the Father has given me. Jesus lived in the bosom of the Father as close as possible to him and therefore he could make him known to others. And now Jesus says, 
as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As Jesus lived and worked in total dependence on the Father, so he sends us to be and to do the same. The Father is continuing, is actually continuing the work of Jesus through his disciples, through us. And we have to mediate, we could say, his physical presence. Because Jesus is no longer physically among us. He went back to his Father. We now have to represent to people his physical presence. And that's what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. And exactly, it's exactly in terms of the body of Christ that Paul also speaks about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit enabling us to be the body of Christ. When Jesus was on earth, he used his hand to comfort, to touch the lepers, the outcasts. And now he uses our hands to extend comfort. As Jesus went on foot up and down through Palestine across the borders, he uses our feet to go to people where they are, to reach them with God's love. As Jesus opened his eyes and saw the people who were uh, uh, like sheep without a shepherd and had pity on them, so he wants to use our eyes to see the needs, our ears to hear the cries of those in need. We need to make it possible for people to experience the presence of Jesus. As church, we are the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we can be his body physically here in the world, representing his love and his care. And this is not a new law. We should not turn this into a law. You have to do this. You have to do that. This is part of the gospel. This is good news. Because it's not something we do for the Lord. If we are the body of Christ, it means it's something he does through us. We don't have to work hard and exert ourselves to do something for the Lord. We have to open ourselves and allow him to work, do his work through us. We become part of God's work of salvation in the world. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only Savior. We can't save anybody. But the Lord sends us to introduce him to people. And that's not just by talking a lot. It's also by the way we live, by the way we approach people, by the way we communicate with them. We make people aware that Jesus is there and that he loves them through our lives, through our testimony, we make Jesus present. And it's important that Jesus does not say, as God sent me, I send you. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. We are sent as God's children. We are not sent as God's slaves or as God's employees. God is not a heavenly boss. He's our heavenly Father, and he sends us out as his children, as brothers and sisters of Jesus. As he sent out our elder brother, Jesus, so he sends us out into the world. Now, this all sounds wonderful, but how can these disciples, 
who are so scared that they've locked the doors, who don't even want to leave the house, how can they fulfill such a huge task? How can we help people to experience Jesus through our lives and our wealth? We are just not up to it. The secret is, Jesus gives them his spirit. And Jesus gives us his spirit. It's the same spirit that came on Jesus at his baptism and enabled him to do his ministry. And now Jesus says, I give you the same spirit. The spirit that equipped me for my ministry, this spirit I pass on to you for your ministry. He gives us the spirit to equip us for our task. He doesn't give us the spirit for our personal enjoyment, to become very spiritual people, but so that we can go out, be sent out to imitate Jesus, to represent Jesus. And the death of Jesus, his wounds, and his resurrection, his appearance there, standing among the disciples, it's all connected to this giving of the Spirit. That leads to the coming of the Spirit. Because God's work is one. Through Jesus on the cross, he worked salvation for us. And through the Spirit, he applies the salvation. He makes it real to us. And through us, he makes it real to people around us. The coming of the Spirit fulfills the promise that Jesus made before his death. He promised the that the Spirit would come. He said, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. It's the Spirit that reminds us, ah, yeah, Jesus did this in this situation. Jesus said that in that situation. When we face impossible situations with people, the Spirit reminds us what Jesus did, what he said. When the counselor comes, the spirit of truth, he will testify on my behalf. The spirit himself speaks through us, shows Jesus forth through us. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The work of the spirit is not to glorify himself but to glorify Jesus, to help us to see Jesus, to help us to experience his presence, to help us to remember, remember Jesus, remember what he did, remember what he said. And then Jesus breathes on them. Jesus breathes on them. And this, uh, this breath of Jesus reminds us of right in the beginning when God created Adam, out of the dust of the earth, he breathed life into him. Adam was a nice little statue until God breathed life into him. We come from the earth. We created out of the earth, out of dust. But what makes us into people is the breath of God. God breathed into Adam. And we read the same in Ezekiel 37 that there was this whole valley full of dead bones. We can imagine that because in our times or recent times, we've seen this, valleys of dead bones, mass graves, atrocities where people in their thousands had been killed. Dead bones, no hope. 
a symbol of absolute hopelessness. And the breath of God, the breath of God make these bones come together, become people, living people again. The gift of the Spirit is the gift of life. The gift of the Spirit is the gift of life. And that's what we celebrate today. Right at the beginning, right at the start, Genesis 1, we read that the earth was a mess, dark, but the Spirit of God hovered over this darkness. And God spoke, and life appeared. The Spirit is the Spirit of life. In John 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And this life Jesus gives to us through his spirit, through his death for us to rid us of sin and his spirit to restore us to new life. And in chapter 7, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. Sounds a little bit strange. We would expect that Jesus says, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow into him. No, Jesus says, the streams of living water will flow from us. We will have it in us, bubbling up all the time, but it will flow from us because the Spirit comes to give life to those sent out, but also to give life to those to whom they are sent. The Spirit gives us life and enables us to, to transmit this life, to, uh, to bubble up with this life, to affect everyone around us. This is what God does. This is gospel. This is not a command, do this, do that. This is a privilege. God says, this is what I want to do. I want to give you life, and I want to make you a source of life. I give you my Spirit. And then finally, Jesus comes with the message the message that we proclaim in the fullness of the Spirit. And the message is, your sins have been forgiven. We have the power, because of the fullness of the Spirit in us, to proclaim, to tell people your sins are forgiven. Not because we can forgive them, but because we know the sins are forgiven if you believe in Jesus. Jesus has paid the price. When we proclaim the truth, sins are forgiven. Jesus does not come to solve all our problems. That's a false message. Jesus comes to solve our main problem, the problem of sin, the problem that our relationship with God is broken. Jesus solves that problem, and when that problem is solved, we can live with all the other little problems that are left. Jesus gives us authority, the authority to proclaim to people your sins are forgiven. But the gospel is not just the gospel of life. It's a question of life and death. Jesus also says, and you have the power to retain the sins of those who do not respond. The message we proclaim is a message of life. But for those who refuse this message, it's also a reminder of death. Death is the final price we as humans pay if we don't accept what God has done for us through Jesus. Jesus sends out people who are weak, who are afraid, who are hiding. He equips them and he equips us for our task. He equips us by his presence. 
He stands in our midst, like he stood there amongst the disciples. Jesus says, I do this for you every day. Matthew 28. Every day I am with you until the end of the world. He does this by his peace. Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. He does it by his spirit. He equips us by his spirit. You will be my witnesses. doesn't say you must be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Through my spirit working in you. At home, abroad, everywhere you go. And he equips us by giving us his authority. To me has been given all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus sends out all his followers, all of us, are his messengers to a, needy, to a needy world. And he himself gives us all we need to fulfill this task. It's a joyful task because we have the privilege to transmit life. We have the privilege to introduce life to people who live in a world of death. This is why the Spirit came, to equip us to be sent, to be witnesses of our Lord Jesus. Amen.